Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 15th, 2022. We spent a lot of time on this show talking about how to fix American democracy. I had a show at the beginning of the week with Rebecca Carruthers about how we can use January 6th insurrection to create a more perfect American democracy. It's certainly rather imperfect at the moment. It doesn't, in many ways, I think, reflect the diversity of America. I had a uh, Ibu Patel, an important American writer on the show uh, last month, talking about how to build a more diverse democracy in America. He has an interesting new book out, We Need to Build Field Notes for Diverse Democracy. Much of this, of course, comes down to the electoral system and the issue of gerrymandering. That's the, the bad word that we use to describe the corruption of the American system. Um, you can find all sorts of images and charts about it online. Uh, we have to blame a uh, an 18th century American, Elbridge Jerry, for the founding father, if you like. He's an American founding father. He's the founding father, at least, of the idea of gerrymandering, which is where the name comes from. I think it's become one of those words we use as an insult. Earlier today, I talked to Jen, um, uh, to, uh, 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 to uh, Jennifer Senor from The Atlantic. She has an interesting piece out about Steve Bannon, not one of the great friends of American democracy. At one point, she talked about Bannon gerrymandering this or that. Gerrymandering is a bad thing, according to my guest today. It may indeed be democracy's greatest threat. Uh, Nick Seabrook is the author of One Person, One Vote, A Surprising History of Gerrymandering in America. And he's joining us from Jacksonville in Florida today, a rather steamy Florida, Nick. I apologize for the weather in San Francisco. It's cool and sunny, so uh, you're more than welcome to come here. Sounds nice. Your book is called, uh, Nick, um, A Surprising History of Gerrymandering in America. What's surprising about it? What wouldn't we expect to find in a history of gerrymandering? I think people tend to think of gerrymandering as being something of a modern problem, as being something that has emerged over the last 50 years or so as technology has improved, as data has improved, uh, as the politicians who are responsible for drawing the boundaries of the districts that we use for our elections have had that technology available to them to manipulate them uh, with much greater precision. and. What surprised me when I started researching this book is that gerrymandering is very much not only a modern phenomenon. It's something that has been with us since not only the founding of the United States, but in fact, prior to that, it was something that was going on in the colonial era where British colonial governors were manipulating the districts of their colonies uh, in order to make sure that their preferred policies were enacted. It was happening during the founding era and some of the framers of the constitution itself, some of the most famous names in our history, people like Patrick Henry and James Madison were involved in, in gerrymandering. And it fundamentally altered the trajectory 
of American history on a number of occasions. Abraham Lincoln, before he ran for president of the United States, had been a victim of gerrymandering in his home state of Illinois, and it prevented him from winning election to, to Congress. A couple of years after that, he turned around and decided to run for president of the United States itself. And the rest, of course, is history. But I was surprised at just the sheer number of fascinating gerrymandering stories in American history that people may not be aware of and which really had a, a significant impact on the development of our nation. Nick, let's define what the word means and what you means, but what you mean by it online, uh, uh, the definition is manipulate the boundaries of an electoral constituency so as to favor one party or class. My understanding of gerrymandering is it's generally not illegal. It usually happens within the law. Is that fair? Are there different words we need to use for legal and illegal gerrymandering? I think generally gerrymandering for most of U.S. history has been legal. It's been something that has been within the law. It's simply something that comes about um, by virtue of the fact that unlike most other democracies, the United States allows politicians to conduct the process of redrawing districts, often the districts they themselves will then run for re-election in, which creates a fairly unavoidable and undesirable conflict of interest. And so the temptation has always been there for politicians to configure the districts in such a way that it makes more likely either that they will keep their own seats or that their political party will maintain control of the legislature that they are uh, that they are serving in. Um, so that's kind of the the uh, the core of what gerrymandering is. So, so what you're saying is it's the, the system that's wrong because you can't really blame a politician if he can legally he or she can legally redraw boundaries to redraw it in ways that will benefit their political career. Is this a constitutional issue, this right to redraw boundaries? Where, where, where was this right or where is this right born? Generally, it's found in the constitutions of each of the individual states. So when states drew up their constitutions, they generally assigned responsibility to the state legislature to redraw districts. And there has been some effort to try and change that. The solutions to gerrymandering are generally constitutional as well. There are a number of states that have amended their constitutions to either prohibit politicians from putting their thumbs on the scale or to remove redistricting from the hands of politicians entirely. And that I think is probably the best way to go about solving the problem of gerrymandering because as you say, if it's legal, if it's something that they can do, um, it's kind of unreasonable for them not to do it. It's in their own political interest. Uh, you might even say that it's their job to try and ensure that their political party is as successful as possible. Yeah, I mean, if, if, I, if I could legally manipulate internet audiences so that I turned out to be the number one podcast online, I, I would do so, especially if I could beat Steve Bannon. Uh, do, doing research uh, for this show, I came across a number of different local gerrymandering issues. Florida, which of course always comes up, DeSantis, uh, classic gerrymander amongst other things. Um, 
uh, I found something about uh, a federal judge blogging, blocking Louisiana's congressional map, uh, calling it racial gerrymandering. Then there was something uh, from Maryland about uh, religious gerrymandering. Uh, and then the apparently uh, AOC and Nancy Pelosi aren't on the same page when it comes to gerrymandering. The problem is it's it's not a very sexy concept because it's so confusing because, as you say, it's fragmented to all the states. So, so how can we generalize? How can we reform the system if we have to reform uh, the regulation in, in each of the 50 states? It's, it's certainly a challenge. Um largely because, as you say, when it comes to fixing state elections, that has to be done on an individual state-by-state basis. But I do think that there's also room for Congress to get involved in this as well, at least when it comes to federal elections, to elections for the U.S. House of Representatives. Congress has the power to ban gerrymandering in federal elections. Uh, It's not a power that Congress has yet exercised, although there have been some bills that have been considered in the last couple of years that would uh, take steps towards uh, towards doing that. Um, it's also been something that has traditionally been the subject of a lot of lawsuits, um, arguments that various constitutional protections, due process, equal protection, freedom of association, that those should give some kind of protection against gerrymandering. Uh, on the whole, though, those legal challenges have not really been that successful. There have been a number of high-profile Supreme Court cases, uh, and the Supreme Court has declined to use its authority to to crack down on gerrymandering, which means that really this is something that the people themselves have to put the work into. And the people, I mean, um, again, on the Los Angeles Times, I found a a public rally in Madison, Wisconsin, um, ending gerrymandering but it's not the kind of issue that really gets people on the streets it's not like gun rights it's not like abortion it's not like immigration uh it's not like tax reform it simply isn't sexy enough is it it's not but the problem with gerrymandering is that it's a major obstacle in the way of achieving meaningful change on all of these other policy priorities that you're talking about if the politicians who are in office know that they don't have to listen to their constituents if they know that they've gerrymandered their districts so they're in a safe seat, they're easily gonna get reelected, they don't have to worry about losing their majority, then they don't have to pay attention to those kinds of rallies. They don't have to pay attention to public opinion. They can pursue their own selfish interests. And I think the best way to sell gerrymandering reform is that it's a vehicle for making our political system more responsive to the will of the people Uh, And when that happens, politicians um, really have no choice but to listen uh, to what their constituents are saying. Politicians in this country, Nick, you don't need me to tell you this, they're not very good at listening. They choose to what they hear. We need to scare people. Is the scariest idea that we wouldn't get lunatics like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene on the right and perhaps characters like AOC on the left? Uh, if we reform the system? Is it enabling extremism, both on the left and the right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the major effects of gerrymandering is that the mechanism of achieving it um, requires creating districts that are as uncompetitive as possible, where you have as many Republicans or as many Democrats packed into a district. And when that happens, elections get decided not in the general election, but in 
the primary. Primary electorates are generally more ideological, they're more extreme. And so I think there is a direct link between the election, particularly to Congress, of some of these more radical politicians and the fact that they're running in districts that are so lopsided that if they win the primary, there's really no viable alternative to them in the general election. It's chicken and egg, though, Nick, isn't it, in terms of America's descent into extremism, both on the left and the right, the inability for people to talk to one another. Uh, Can one, to some extent, blame gerrymandering, though, for this? Is there a silent center, a silent center that is being undermined and harmed by gerrymandering? I think there's less and less of a silent center as time goes on, um, to the extent that there was ever really a center among the politicians themselves. I think that center has now disappeared. Uh, I think that there is, at least to to some extent, uh, a middle left when it comes to to the American people. But those those centrists, those voters who are not hardcore Democrats or Republicans, just don't see their interests being represented right now. And so it's tempting to kind of disengage, to uh, say, well, the system is never going to work for me. It's one set of extremists or another. Um, I think fixing gerrymandering, it's not going to be a panacea. Polarization arises from a whole host of other sources besides gerrymandering, but gerrymandering makes it work, uh, makes it worse. And it's one, it's one piece of the puzzle. It certainly is. Well- how, how do, uh, and, and, and I'm not so familiar with internal democratic politics, but at least according to the New York Post, uh, there's a gerrymandering war uh, pitting uh, AOC against Pelosi. Is that true? And where do they each of them stand on, on gerrymandering? Well, Nancy Pelosi has been for some time now uh, well known for the fact that she opposed the gerrymandering reforms that went on in her home state of California. So slightly more than a decade ago, uh, the voters in California passed an initiative that created an independent citizens commission, completely separate from the state government to redraw their districts. And a lot of California Democrats who wanted to gerrymander the state of California, among them Nancy Pelosi, were opposed to that. And you can understand because Democrats have kind of been unilaterally disarming on this issue. When you get rid of gerrymandering in blue states like California and New York and allow the Republicans to have free reign to gerrymander in places where they are in control, uh, you kind of get an asymmetry there. Um, And I think that's the source of the conflict between um, some of these uh, internal uh, debates between Democrats that uh, you have kind of the good government type Democrats who think that we should take steps to, towards a, a more healthy democracy. Uh, and then you have Democrats like Nancy Pelosi, who uh, place uh, winning seats and expanding her majority in the House uh, above those types of things. Nick, your book is called One Person, One Vote, A Surprising History of Gerrymandering in America. Um, a few months ago, I had my old friend, um, Carol Anderson, a very distinguished political thinker on the show. She has a book out, One Person, No Vote, quite similar um, title to yours, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. Her book focuses on what I think she sees as the gutting of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Um, How is the issue of gerrymandering connected with Carol's argument about uh, 
taking people's vote, the right to vote away. We also had Michael Brennan from the, uh, sorry, Michael Waldman from the Brennan Center on recently. He also has a book out, The Fight to Vote, which focuses on uh, the Voting Rights Act. Are, are these separate issues or are they bound up with one another? No, they're very much connected. Um, one of the core provisions of the Voting Rights Act that is under threat right now, that's Section 2 of the VRA, is one of the key statutory protections against racial gerrymandering, against politicians using redistricting to prevent racial minorities from winning elections and from gaining representation in, in government. And it was the enforcement of that in the 1970s and the 1980s that led to the creation of a lot of districts all across the nation that now elect minority members of Congress minority members of, of state legislatures. And it's entirely possible that within the next few years, we will see the Supreme Court kind of sharply limiting that component of the Voting Rights Act. And it's kind of one, one component of this broader war on voting that we've seen uh, largely from the Republican Party and from Republican affiliated judges um, passing legislation uh, to make it more difficult for people to participate in elections. And the protections in the Voting Rights Act are uh, designed to prevent racial gerrymandering are one of the things that are under threat from that effort. It's ironic that the Republicans are supposedly against racial, cultural identity, and yet their support for gerrymandering only compounds that. Um, we talked earlier about Ibu Patel's Field notes for a diverse democracy. Uh, we need to build. His book uh, is out. Um, we also um, we also had Justin Guest on the show recently. Uh, he wants to create a post racial civic identity in America to get beyond uh, racial identity. He has a new book out, Majority Minority. Do you think if we can clean up gerrymandering, if that's possible, we can get beyond? seems like the almost the, the iron cage of cultural and racial identity in politics so that one first and foremost thinks of oneself as white or black or Hispanic. In fact, uh, later today, I'm doing a show with um, Juan Gonzalez, who has a history of uh, Latinos in America. For democracy to genuinely flower, to be more perfect, to borrow some language from, uh, uh, from Rebecca, uh, who, who was on the show earlier this week, do we need to escape those identities and can fighting gerrymandering help us, Nick? I think it can help, but it's going to be an enormous challenge given the extent to which race and the lingering effects of things like slavery and segregation and discrimination continue to infect all areas of our politics. But I think the key towards moving towards kind of a, a post-racial society um, Talking about politics, not so much in terms of racial, uh, in terms of racial uh, issues, is to remove the lingering prejudice that is still inherent in our institutions. And gerrymandering is one of those institutions that has often been used throughout U.S. history to undermine the ability of of minorities to participate in elections and continues to, to do so to this day. I think it's one step towards doing that. Uh, it's a small step probably, but those small steps eventually add up. 
Yeah, we've done so many shows about the struggle to vote, about the politics of voting, particularly amongst minorities. We do a show about African-American women's struggle to vote. The idea now that one can vote, but one has the right in a way to vote, but that that vote doesn't count is particularly demoralizing, depressing. So, Nick, people are going to be watching this. They're going to think to themselves, well, obviously we're against gerrymandering. It almost goes without saying. Most people are very busy. They can't go on the streets. They can't dedicate their lives to writing books about it as you have. What can they do? What can people actually do to try to chip away at the rottenness of the political system that is being corrupted by gerrymandering? It's it's a tricky one because the nature of gerrymandering often means that just voting in elections is not enough to change things because those elections have been rigged to ensure that that change is extremely difficult or sometimes impossible to achieve. I think any kind of civic engagement um, is something that helps. The major thing that people can do is find out if there are any groups in their states who are working on the problem of gerrymandering, who are collecting signatures to try and put initiatives on the ballot to reform the laws in, in their individual states uh, and to get involved in, in, in those efforts. Um, I'm hoping to try and put together a coalition here in Florida uh, with a view towards amending our state constitution in 2024 uh, to create an independent citizens redistricting commission here in Florida to follow the model that states like California, Colorado, and Michigan uh, have used. And if we can inspire efforts like that in more states, uh, maybe a decade from now, when we get around to redistricting again, there'll be a little bit less gerrymandering than there was this time around. Do you think one fix, Nick, is to simply do a run around the system and, and, and put one's energies into more radical constitutional reform, different kinds of electoral systems, list voting, or even citizen assemblies that we've done some shows about? I think those are all good options to think about. The problem is that any any change to the system that requires amending the federal constitution is, I think at this point in US history, almost impossible to achieve. It's been almost 50 years uh, since we last had a major constitutional amendment. There was one in the, the 1990s that was fairly uh, non-substantive. It, it was something that had been kind of lingering, going all the way back to the Bill of Rights. Uh, and in our polarized society, the high bar for amending the constitution, two thirds of the house and Senate, three quarters of, of state legislatures mean that a federal constitutional amendment is almost impossible to achieve, which is why I think we have to focus on doing this on a state by state basis. And that is a, a more uh, achievable goal. Well, one way to begin thinking this is to get Nick's new book, One Person, One Vote, A Surprising History of Gerrymandering in America may not be the sexiest of subjects, but it's really important. Congratulations, Nick, on the book. Um, what else should people be reading in addition to your new history of gerrymandering in uh, so, mid-June 2022? So if, like me, you are a politics junkie and you're looking for some, uh, not exactly light reading, but something that is extremely interesting and which also delves into American political history, uh, I would highly recommend Garrett Graff's new book, uh, Watergate, A New History. Um, uh, I didn't pay you to say it, Nick, but he's coming on the show on Friday. We get all the best people. Okay. Yeah, and this is 
an incredibly comprehensive look into a scandal that is now 50 years old in uh, in the United States, kind of the quintessential American political scandal. And it's uh, it's a really, really interesting book. If you thought you knew everything about the Watergate scandal, uh, I think if you read this, you'll probably find that you that you didn't. And the most interesting thing about this, I think, is that uh, if Watergate happened today and Richard Nixon was president in 2022, with the level of polarization we have, I think he would probably have survived Watergate. It was the fact that Republicans turned against him that ultimately led to him resigning and losing the presidency. Um, I think in today's political environment, Republicans would have stood by Nixon and he probably would have made it through the scandal. Um, perhaps less popular, but he would he would have remained in office.